All right, here at Trash Mountain Project with uh, Executive Director Brett Durbin. Brett, thanks for giving us some time. Yeah, what's, absolutely. Thank what's, you. What's been happening lately with with Trash Mountain? Where do you see where do you see God working lately? Um, you know, I think we always uh, turn to our how our partners are doing, uh, and uh, we have nearly a hundred different people working overseas in these different communities and. Uh, we're currently in 14 communities in five countries, and um, just the amount they're able to get done on kind of a shoestring budget right now. Obviously, things are a little tougher and uh, financially mm -hmm. and in the economy, and um, yeah, just watching them continue and pivot when needed, uh, you just see God in it, and there's more and more need, and there's more and more kids that are needing these programs, and they tend to keep adding them, yeah. even with no more extra in terms of resources. So um, just watching him move in these communities and see people getting into church and following Jesus. And uh, one of those is a, is a Muslim uh, community and uh, pretty incredible what's happening there and uh, celebrating Christmas and uh, just uh, a lot of good going on overseas. So. Good. Talk about resources. I know this is a loaded question, but I'm going <laughs> to ask it anyway. What's the tool? What's the resource? What's the gift? that is going to help Trash Mountain make the most difference right now? You know, I would, I would say it's twofold, and yes, you alluded to. Uh, one of them is uh, finances. Uh, right now, it's, it's tough. You know, there's, uh, you know, giving's been down some, and uh, it's just a tougher time. I mean, everyone's facing mm -hmm. different economy, and, and our partners need different, you know, different resources, and so... Um, definitely uh, financial need uh, for sure. Um, and the other is prayer. I mean, that's where we've really seen mm. Trash Mountain come to life the whole time is just through prayer. And so even in these times when maybe it's tough and it's tougher uh, trying to figure out how to stretch the resources, um, God always seems to find a way. And when your back's against the wall, he seems to show up more at those times, at least from what we've seen. Good. Okay. What's next? What are you most excited about over the next six, 12 months? You know, to see those prayers uh, answered, uh, and I know that's uh, maybe a, that's kind of a loose answer to that, but it's um, right now, one thing we're facing right now um, that I'm going to be interested to see how our partners react and what we can do and how God steps up uh, in the gaps mm -hmm. where we need him um, is usually between all of our communities, we may have a couple hundred kids on a waiting list. Right now, we're closer to 2,000. Um, if you combine all the communities, which um, we only have around 1,700 kids in our program, so about an equivalent amount mm -hmm. that are waiting to get in uh, to these uh, programs and schools. And, and uh, that's, that's tough, but it's also the thing that I kind of look forward to the most is yeah. to see what he does. He knows the need better than we do. You know? So I would say uh, just seeing how God moves through, through the challenges and, and comes out on top, he awesome. always does. Good. All right. Hey, week three. Love, this is um, all about what Trash Mountain is doing. So uh, we're going to get after it. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we did the... <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can zoom in. <laughs> well, good morning. It's so good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a fantastic Thursday. And my guess is by now, if you have any level of discernment, you determine that I am not Pastor Tim. He has a little bit more hair than me and slightly younger, but bless his heart, he texted me on Thursday and said, if I'm still not feeling well by Sunday, would you pinch hit? And I said, sure. So here we are. 
and I have Pastor Tim's message manuscript right here that I'm going to do my best to read to you, so I hope you'll bear with me. And uh, those joining us online, we're so grateful you're here, and Pastor Tim, if you're watching, we love you, we miss you, you got to get back here because I'm gone next week, okay? So anyway, so we're wrapping up this generosity campaign today, and this is our way of doing something tangible, physical, and financial to say to people in our own backyard and around the world, we want to give generously to people in need regardless of where they stand with God because we believe they matter to him and consequently to us. We call this series Give, Serve, Love because we wanted to focus on those three issues. The first week was about giving and Pastor Tim invited everybody at Grace Point to give $137 per person and if we do that, we'll raise $84,000. Is that cool? You heard an update about that just a few minutes ago, and we're off to a good start, but we have a ways to go. And you can open up the Church Center app right now during the message, and you have Pastor Tim's permission to ignore me and give to this. How's that? Last week, Pastor Tim talked about the service piece and asked you to think about getting involved with some of our local partners. We give to some of them financially, but we want to think about giving our time and energy to them throughout the year as well. And today, we come to the love part. So let's talk about love. You know, we could talk for hours and hours on the things we love, right? It's such a part of the human condition. And it's so much a part of the human condition, you see it work itself out in our music. Did you know there are over 100 number one hit songs with the word love in the title? And here's a few examples, and, and, and Mark might agree with me. When you guys sing, you sound marvelous, don't they? So if you want to sing some of these with me, we'll see what happens. Going back to 1956, Elvis wanted people to love me. Boy, you're showing your age already, yeah. A few years later, he sang, I can't help falling in. There you go. Others had lost that loving feeling, according to the Righteous Brothers, and the Supremes wanted people to stop in the name of, that's right, while the Beatles told us, all you need is, you got it. A few years later, the Partridge family said, I think I love you, right? And Olivia Newton-John whispered, I honestly love you. In 1975, the Eagles were willing to give the best of my love. And here we go, Captain and Tennille told us that love will keep us together. You know it. By 1976, Paul McCartney was decrying all the silly love songs. But Ario Speedwagon vowed to keep on loving you. It was the only thing they wanted to do. <laughs> Lionel Richie and Diana Ross sang about their endless love in 1981. While Tina Turner wanted to know, what's love got to do? You know it. 1984, and in 1985, Whitney Houston was saving all my for you. you guys are good. Even as Foreigner said, and this is quite the line, I want to know what love is, which is actually a pretty profound statement when you sit with it. And we throw this word around so much, you kind of walk away scratching your head wondering, I really do want to know what it is. 
And when our Jesus showed up on this earth, when he began to preach and teach throughout his public ministry, he answered that question. Probably the most shocking time he did was the night right before he was crucified. He was celebrating Passover with his closest followers, something they had done their entire lives as Jews. And it was a commemoration of something that had happened hundreds of years before in Egypt. And Jesus said something that night that could have been seen as so offensive to people outside the room. He said, from now on, when you gather to celebrate Passover, you're no longer celebrating something that happened hundreds of years ago. You'll celebrate something that's about to happen tomorrow. This will be the symbol of a brand new covenant in my blood. He would go on to tell them this brand new covenant would be fueled by a single governing ethic. The seamlessly endless list of rules and commands that even the Jewish people were say were a burden. It would all be boiled down to a single command. And it was so mind-boggling, it took the church about 40 to 50 years to figure it out. And the first 30 to 40 years after Jesus left, there was so much tension around this idea because they had such a hard time of letting go of what used to be. And John, John, who was in the room that night, John, who was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died, John, who took care of Jesus's mom, who looked into an empty tomb, who had breakfast on the beach with Jesus after the resurrection. This John became a leader in the early church because of his proximity to Jesus. And when John was an old man, the emperor decided not to kill John, but to exile him instead. And somewhere around that time, John began to write letters to different churches, and we have a record of some of those letters. And I want to read to you a portion of one of those letters that was written about 40 years after the resurrection. It's from 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but the letter of 1 John. And if you want, grab your Bible or your device and turn to 1 John chapter 2. The church had started to gain some traction. They'd started to shift from a primarily Jewish group to a mix of Jews and Gentiles, which meant that there was still tension around keeping the list of rules versus doing what Jesus said that night. And how do we bring those two things together? Well, John writes to Jesus' followers in his day to try to answer that question. And listen to John who knew Jesus, he'll explain what Jesus was all about when it comes to this tension around what love is. Here we go in the first verse. My dear children, John's an old man. This is like your grandpa calling everybody son. He said, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. That's a good thing, right? Advocate, meaning someone to argue your case and make things right with the Father. And that is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, when he says Jesus Christ, the righteous one, it sounds like flowery Bible language to us. But remember, this was a guy who knew, saw, spoke, and even touched Jesus. And he believed Jesus, his friend, 
had become an advocate for every person on the planet in terms of making things right with God. It's amazing. He goes on in verse two. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John realized there was a tension in the church. Is it Judaism plus Christianity? Do you have to become Jewish before you can follow Jesus? Does God still love one group more than another? There was all this tension around that. And John says, let me be absolutely clear on all of this. Jesus wasn't just an atoning sacrifice for Jewish sins. He was an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. The playing field has been leveled. Everybody comes to God on the same terms. And he goes on to say, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So through Jesus, my sins, your sins are forgiven. But in terms of your relationship with him, the day-to-day living, here's how you know that you know you have fellowship with God. And we kind of glide over these kind of things, but John is saying that we are to keep Jesus's commands. So he continues in verse four. Whoever says, I know him, let's paraphrase that. I'm good with God. I've got fellowship with God, but does not do what he commands is a what? Liar. And the truth is not in that person. Wow. In other words, if you say things are good between you and God, but don't do what Jesus asked you to do, you're lying to yourself. To which we go, okay, we know the Ten Commandments, but what did Jesus command? Well, John teases this out a little bit before he answers the question in verse five. But if anyone obeys his word, talking about Jesus' word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. That's really a big, bold statement. If you and I obey the commands of Jesus, that's how you and I know we have love for God. To which many want to go, no, no, no. Me and God are good. I don't really know what Jesus commanded, but me and God, we're good. John says, I hung out with Jesus. I saw him die, and three days later saw him alive. So I'm gonna go with what Jesus said. And if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. If you've heard him, you've heard the Father. And that makes things a lot easier. You don't have to guess anymore. If you keep Jesus' commands, you have fellowship with God the Father. And verse seven says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him, in other words, to have fellowship with Jesus, in other words, things are good between you and God, must live as Jesus did. What's that mean? Does that mean we all throw on sandals and move to Galilee? Does that mean we have to go and worship at the temple in Jerusalem? No. By the time John was writing this, the temple may have already been destroyed. This is a huge statement he's making because fellowship with God, being right with God, gets a little simpler because we have an example, an illustration. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to read and see what Jesus did. 
It's no longer a guessing game. And he backs it up by explaining further in verse seven. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. This isn't new, guys, he's saying. You've heard it for the last 30 to 40 years as Jesus' words and teaching have circulated. I'm not introducing anything new. This is what you've had since the beginning. Not the beginning of time, not the beginning of the Old Testament, since the beginning of the teachings of Jesus, since the beginning of the church. And then John gets a little poetic before he gets practical again in this next slide. Look, this old command is the message you have heard. I am writing you a new command. It's an old command, in other words, but I'm going to say it in a new way. Its truth is seen in him. That's the practical part. In other words, this old command I'm about to remind you of, if you ever wonder what it looks like, just look at Jesus. You'll never again have to ask, what is God like? Or what would God do in this situation? It got a lot easier when Jesus showed up and demonstrated it for us. And you've heard it since you first started hearing the teachings of Jesus. But John says, I'm saying it in a new way that can easily be seen in him. Here it is. The old command and this message you've heard, here it is. I'm writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and in whom? You. This isn't just a believe it in my head thing. It's a do thing. And it's so clear, you know if you're doing it or not. Question. Have you ever wondered if something was a sin or not? Have you ever asked yourself, how close can I get to sinning without actually sinning? Or how close can I get to ticking God off without actually ticking God off? off. John says you no longer have to ask these questions. It's clearly seen in him and it can clearly be seen in you. Watch how he wraps up this verse. This is great. It takes a little explanation, but it's powerful. He says, it's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. John saw Jesus, heard Jesus, touched, smelled Jesus. And now John's an outlaw, according to Rome. He's exiled from the people he loves. And as an old man, he's sitting back and he's thinking, this one truth that has changed the world, it's like the sun is slowly rising. And as it does, it's dispelling the darkness. This new command, this new idea, this single unifying ethic that impacts every single person, that every single person can actually do. And you know it when you see it. It's beginning to emerge and influence the whole world. It's slowly taking more and more ground. It's like he's saying, it's gonna work. It's gonna work. It's gonna work. Then he gets back to his main point, Verse nine, anyone who claims to be in the light or anyone who claims to be a part of this thing that's dawning or slowly emerging, anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. And here's where we give ourselves an out when it comes to this because we're all good at loopholes, huh? And please don't raise your hand, but if I were to say, if you're here today and you hate someone, Well, very few of you would raise your hand or 
If there's a group of people you hate, again, very few of us would raise our hand. But if we got into that a little more, such as, well, there is a group of people I don't like, or there is that one person I'd rather not be around. There's a group of people who are so ignorant, I just don't like to hear them talk. I don't hate them. I wish they'd all disappear from the planet. But I don't hate them. Hate such a strong word, pastor. Well, there are cultures where hate's a virtue. But in our culture, hate is not a virtue. You're not supposed to hate anybody. But I don't want us to miss his point. So I'm going to modify the word just a little bit to make sure we don't miss it. Here's what he's saying. Quote, anyone who claims to be in the light but dismisses rejects, considers unimportant, or mistreats someone else is still in the darkness. No matter how much you pray, how many Bible verses you post on social media, how many worship songs you listen to, how many uh, part uh, of church services you attended, or sermons maybe you've even preached, if there's an individual or a group of people you dismiss, see as less than, discriminate against, don't want to have anything to do with or have a bad attitude towards. John, who knew Jesus, says, you're kidding yourself. You are still in the dark. And he doesn't really need to, but he continues in verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. In other words, if you get the love thing right, you're good to go. Love your brother, love your sister, love the people around you. Get that part right, you're good to go. It was what Pastor Tim looked at last week. If you love the people, you don't love back. If you do for people who won't do for you, or when you do for your enemies what you do for your friends, you're like God. You are godly. Jesus said you're perfect like God. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. If you want to be like God, love your brother and sister, even those who would never love you back. Verse 11 continues, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Mistreating people creates conflict between you and God, between me and God. It leaves us in a place where we're stumbling through life. And you've seen this. Isn't this what bitterness does? Isn't this what anger does? The stuff we hang on to because of what somebody did to us years ago? John says, You're in the dark. You may know chapter and verse. You may even work at the church, but you're in darkness. Don't kid yourself. You can say a lot of things about what we believe, but on this one thing, we cannot move. This is where we stake our claim, the epicenter of our faith. It's why John said all this, why Jesus said what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. The person you dismiss, the group you dislike, the person you want nothing to do with. You don't want to use the word hate out loud, but you kind of do. 
And Jesus, who died for you, died for them. Because here's a great phrase. Everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Everybody. And if you mistreat somebody for whom Jesus died, you can't be in the light. You're still in darkness. Now, we may not get this on the cosmic level, but we get this relationally. Pastor Tim said a couple of weeks ago, if I were to mistreat your grandson or your favorite niece, if I were to ignore your brother or sister, heaven forbid, if I were to dislike your son or daughter, things would not be good between us, would they? And things aren't good between you and I. If I mistreat someone you love, because when I mistreat someone you love, it's like I'm mistreating you. And this is the center of who we are as Christ followers. Jesus came to be the advocate for all mankind. And in that moment, friends, we lost our right to mistreat anyone because the one to whom we look for our forgiveness sent his son to die for their sin as well as for ours. The person you like the least, their advocate with the father is your advocate with the father. John said you can't hate your brother and sister and walk in the light. You're kidding yourself. And here's what I've discovered over the years of following Jesus and watching others follow him. You want to know what love is? Love is less complicated than the law, but far more demanding. When you decide to love someone, you realize really quickly that there are no loopholes. When you decide what's best for that person is what's best, there's no shortcuts. When you decide I'm gonna do what's best for her even though it costs me, when I decide to put someone ahead of me, when I decide others first, there are no escape clauses or workarounds. We know exactly what we should do. And if you ever get confused, John said, just look at Jesus. All the New Testament imperatives, husbands, love your wives, children, obey your parents, all the one another's, all those things are simply applications of what Jesus taught his disciples. So you ask the question, what does it look like to love this person and just do that? It's much less complicated than the law, but far more demanding. And Pastor Tim writes, as I was preparing this week, I actually found myself a little embarrassed. If I could go back and undo one thing about my upbringing, especially when it comes to my Christian experience, it would be how I applied this idea because for many years of my life, I was such a Pharisee. And I just want to echo Pastor Tim because when I read the rest of what he wrote here, I thought, this is Pastor Jim too. I grew up in, I'm third generation preacher. He writes, part of the reason was because I was such a good kid. I kept the rules. My conscience and heart was dinged when I got in trouble. I wanted to obey my authority, all those things. And compared to most of my friends, I was really good at being good. And when you're good at being good, you're good at being judgmental. It's easy to dismiss the people who don't keep the rules because they just don't get it and God's not going to bless them and they deserve everything they have coming. I was such a Pharisee. 
And so was this guy. He goes on, as I've gotten older, I've realized that I was more focused on believing right than loving well. Believing right is important. But believing right without loving well is what leads us to what we're talking about today. Pastor Tim says, I want to figure it out. I want to study scripture. I want to be clear in how I teach it. I want to be accurate. But there are still times I'm not always 100% sure what to believe, but I'm almost always sure what loving well looks like. That was John's point. We've seen it in action. We know what it looks like and we're supposed to model our life after it. We no longer have to guess what fellowship with God looks like. It's obvious. Jesus has made it obvious. We measure it by how we treat the people around us. It's far less complicated, but it's far more demanding. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you've been called to do, to ask of every single person we meet, those who are easy to love, those who aren't, those that are next to impossible to love, like 49er fans. Sorry, just had to throw that in there, Mark. What does love require of me for this person? So the love piece isn't something we needed to add on at the end because, well, we're a church and God is love, so we have to love everybody. No, that's not it. This may be the most crucial thing we do, and in some ways, it's the hardest of the three. Give, serve, love. Because what we, what we want you to do is to find someone that may be a little challenging to love, someone who's gonna be surprised that you even thought about them, someone who will be shocked they're even on your radar and do something loving towards them. Do something uncomfortably good for someone who's not expecting anything good from you. You know, give, love, serve. The giving part, kind of easy, right? Find the money, write the check, swipe the card. You're good, right? Serve. You show up and serve with one of our local partners, maybe five or 10 hours a year. But love, this is the up close and personal part. This is the challenging one, but as John and Jesus both said, this, catch it friends, this is how people will know we're his disciples. The way we love one another. And I just have a personal illustration I'd like to share, and then we'll conclude. I told you earlier, I'm a third generation preacher, and I remember hearing my dad use this illustration as he pastored back east. Happened decades ago. It's an old story, but it is a true story. There's a gal back east that grew up with her dearest friend. They went to junior high, high school together, college. They were BFFs. Very, very tight. And one gal got married. I'm gonna call her Martha, who a lot of the story circles around. Martha married the love of her life. Lived in the same town with her best friend. And years after being married, her husband, who she loved with all of her heart, came to her and said, I'm divorcing you. She said, why? What have I done to you? He said, nothing, but I've fallen in love with somebody else and I'm leaving you and I'm gonna marry them. She said, who are you leaving me for? And he looked her square in the eye and said, your best friend. She was devastated, destroyed forsaken. Sure enough, her husband divorced her, married her best friend. And that couple, couple lived in the same town she did for a decade. Decade later, her phone rang. How many of you are old enough to remember caller ID? Or when there was not caller ID? 
She picked up the phone, said hello, and she heard a familiar voice on the other side of the phone. It was her former best friend who said, Martha, would you talk to me? Martha said, what do you want to say? She said, your former husband, the man I took from you and married, I've been married to for 10 years now, he's contracted a debilitating, paralyzing terminal disease. He can no longer work. I'm going to have to go to work, but I'm not going to make enough money to have somebody come in and sit with him because he needs to be cared for, fed, bathed, given his medicine. Do you know of anybody that would do it? And Martha said, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And she said, it came out of my mouth so swiftly. She said, I will. And she showed up at their house that next Monday morning. And her former best friend showed her where his clothes were and the bathing equipment and the food and whatnot. Said, you have to give him breakfast, give him lunch, bathe him, give him his meds. I'll be back by five so you don't have to give him dinner. And Martha did that for years until her former husband stepped into the grave. And one day her former best friend said, why would you do this? And she said, because this is what Jesus has done for me. And the Bible says, while we were still his enemies, God demonstrates his own love for us. He came and died for us. What should you do? Can I make a couple suggestions? One, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to prompt you. My guess is you're not going to have a hard time finding someone not easy to love. But you ask the Holy Spirit, he'll show you. You may say, I don't know if I can do it alone. Great, team up with another believer, another follower of Jesus. Maybe you together can love them. Because I'm gonna end with this verse. Proverbs 4.18 says this, I love Proverbs 4.18. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Aren't you glad God brings the sun up gently? You've been in the room right and somebody just opens the shade or throws on the light and you're blinded. God does it over time. Our path, the path of the righteous, like the righteous one, Jesus Christ, it's like the first gleam of dawn. You just start with something little and the light begins to dawn. And boy, in our world, does the light of love need to dawn? Ask him. He'll show you, church. Let's shine. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for being our advocate. Thank you for taking care of the law and covering our sin. And oh God, how we live in a world that needs so much the love of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, show us even starting this week what to do. We are so thankful for what you've done for us. Help us to do it to others. And you get all the glory, Jesus. And may your church move through this world. In Jesus' name, we all say, Happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much turkey. God bless you.